What if I told you this is it? In a time where the volume of the world is loud and everything is piercing, where the winds of change blow with relentless force, where the future seems uncertain and the present is so fleeting, what if I told you this is it? We are all travelers on a journey, seeking a destination beyond our understanding. But we are guided by a light and love that shines so bright that it breaks down darkness, ambiguity, and uncertainty. This moment, these moments are where we find it, where we find love, where we find belonging, where we find healing, where we find the courage to keep going, and where we find the strength to trust again. Today, this is it. This is your moment. This is your story. This is your chance to uncover the beauty in life that only a God who undeniably cares for you can bring. We come together in worship, seeking that deeper truth, trying to live in a new reality by letting love lead and direct us into a better story. We choose to embody hope by connecting our hearts to our hand while we serve the community around us. We open doors to new and future leaders to be all they can be and dream beyond where they are. So today, let us open our hearts and minds and enter into this time of worship, this time of surrender, this time of community with expectation, ready to explore the mysteries that lie ahead. Good morning, after church. Hey, let's stand and let's worship. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you could tune in. Come on. Yeah. 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 Come, let us worship. Come, let us worship our King. And come, let us bow at His feet. Cause He has done great things. What a savior is done and see how his love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things Let's sing this out, come on Oh hill of heaven You conquer the grave You free every captive And break every chain You conquered the 
God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things, oh, sing hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, And break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. your freedom, awaken the light. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. You have done great with you guys and as we come into this new song we invite you to really just lean into this moment sing with us these words if you believe it with your heart we ask you to join us oh just one word you calm the storm that surrounds me With just one word, the darkness has to retreat. With just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. With just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can help but believe. There's nothing that a God can do. There's not a mountain that he can move. We'll praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can do. Put your hands together. There's not broken inside. Just one word. With just one word. You revive. And you revive the tree. Just one touch, I feel the power of living. And just one touch, my eyes are open to see. My heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that I'm God can do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. Praise the name 
that you might have come in here with today, that the enemy thought he had you, but Jesus reigns truth that you belong to the family of God. Good morning, Active. My name is Jessica. This is my friend Rebecca, and this is my friend Joe, and we serve on the team here at Active. And over a few weeks ago, uh, we had a really incredible week. Remember, I told you I'm going to come back with some good stories. And so here I am with some good stories. This is my friend, Rebecca, and she went to CIY this year. And so we're going to give her some space to kind of tell you how the week went, because I think she's going to do it way better than, than we could ever do it. So, Becca, would you do me a favor? Tell me a little bit about what your story looked like before um, this past week. So for me, um, the week before we left and a couple weeks before, I was just kind of struggling on trying to figure out where I belong and if God was still there and how I could just grow my relationship. And well, kind of going to CIY kind of showed me that I do belong and that God is there with me. Yeah. So we had some fun. Right? We had, we had an incredible week, oh, yeah. some really cool experiences. Tell me, what was your favorite part, some moments that you'll never forget, and maybe some moments that really impacted your heart forever? Yeah, um, so for me, my younger brother went, and it was just amazing to see him just open up and just have no worry about worshiping God. When we went there, everybody would just run to the front of the stage and just start screaming worship songs and just just bringing so much excitement and not only was the worship amazing but the messages were just so powerful because as a teenager you don't really hear as much you know we're more having fun and you know God's with us but they don't get deep into it like at CIY did they really got deep into everything that you know that we all feel we all struggle with um, and then the community just the friendships that grew there was amazing. You had a group of like 20 students who didn't know anything about each other. And we just all came together and we just all laughed and joked. And anytime any of us starts going, I, 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 you automatically hear everybody else start jumping in and just having the most amazing time. Um, and then our small groups, our small groups were just so intimate. Everybody was just so, we're able to be vulnerable and knowing nobody there is going to judge us, nobody there is going to make us feel less than what we are. We didn't match on purpose, by the way. It's just, we're just great friends, you know? No, she texted me a match. <laughs> you know, even this past Friday, like, it didn't stop at CIY. This past Friday, a group of the same community that was there at CIY that was was born there, ended up doing a Bible study on a Friday night. Like, come on, yeah. we had high schoolers getting together on a Friday night doing a Bible study. This is so cool. Yeah. So listen, you have a really exciting time coming up. Becca just graduated high school this past year. 
She started college in the fall at CBU, oh, yeah. and it's going to be an exciting time. So because of this past week, because of the community and the relationships that you built, what does Becca's story look like moving forward? My story is, I know I belong now. I don't have to worry and fear if I'm going to belong in college or have to worry about what people have to say. I know that wherever I go, God is going to be there with me, and he's going to bring me a community that's going to love me. I love it. Let's give Becca a round of applause. So proud of you, friend. Thank you. Becca, that was great. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for the invite, dude. Like, is it? Sorry. She got your shirt, too. Yeah, I know. I didn't miss out. Here's the thing about CIY. It's always mind-blowing. You're watching the stuff on the screen, or you were watching stuff on the screen, and um, it just looks party, right? But in the middle of all that that's happening in the sea of thousands of high schoolers, God is doing something unique in each one of their stories. And it's really cool that we have a church that um, champions that and really helps them create space in order for them just to get real with God, get real with each other. Some of them, for the very first time in their life, they're saying, God, I, I, I think I want to do this thing. Like, not just my parents' thing, but I want to do this thing for me, for my life, for my story, for my future. So they're making these life-changing decisions that are going to impact the rest of their life. And if you want to imagine, church, like, they're making these critical decisions about faith, about God, about the future before, before those moments of heartache, before those moments of uh, what's next, before those moments of, uh, uh, you know, college. And, and, and that's, I think, one of the most beautiful things that we get to champion here at Active Church. And so, one, I'm just so thankful for this community, for being a champion of high school students, creating space to meet Jesus. And two, I want to say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your generosity of creating space, allowing kids to have this moment away for a week to really experience what God has for their life on their own, making their own decisions. There are three ways that you can partner with us today to continue telling some really, really incredible, incredible stories. Out in the lobby are some giving boxes. You can drop your giving off there, or you can head online to activechurches.com. Just click the give button. Or one of my favorite ways is you can text the number that you see right here on the screen with the amount that you would like to give. Friends, let's let's keep doing it. Yeah. It's been it's been fun. Yeah. We're gonna tell some really more incredible stories, and I can't wait to see different stories like Becca come on the stage year after year to see what God yeah. can do in the lives of young people, um, in the lives of those here in this room today. Yeah. So. And some unsung heroes I want to shout out really quick are our high school leaders who stayed an entire week at camp. Can we just give it up for all of our yeah. high school leaders who went? My gosh. They might have two cups of coffee still in their hand today, so you can probably spot them out. <laughs> I love them. Friends, we are in, it's finally hot, okay? We can yeah. say it's hot it's outside. Summertime. Summer is here, which means we have some fun stuff ahead of you. Joe, what's going on this summer? First thing happening is happening next Sunday that I want you to know about, and that is First Serve Sunday. Um, there's no pressure here at Active Church, but if you're looking to get involved, maybe get involved for the very first time, First Serve Sunday is a perfect day for you just to shadow and see what it's about, see a little bit behind the scenes of what we do here at Active Church, whether that's in the kids area, whether it's with our tech team or the backstage team, or even what's happening in the lobby as people get greeted. We'd love to have you and your family or whoever that is, just take your first step of serving. And so if you're interested in any capacity, scan that QR, 
QR code on the screen. It's going to ask you a couple questions. It's going to set you up with an opportunity to serve next Sunday. And again, there's no pressure. This is just a chance just to check it out. And if you absolutely go like, this isn't for me, that's okay. We'll find another spot for you. Or man, we just love that you're here with us on a Sunday morning. I love our serve teams here at Active because they are some really great people who make some really great friends, but also have a lot of fun. Because if you are on our kids team, next Sunday is our water weekend. We are stoked for this because again, it's hot, but this, we're gonna make it fun for these kids, right? Yeah. Water slides, water balloons, I don't even know, just all the water, water everywhere. Stuff. Water <laughs> stuff. So if you have kiddos and active kids, bring them with their water gear, ready to rock and roll. Not you though, okay? We're gonna have some fun in here, but there's no water slides for you, just for our kiddos. Yeah. I know, I'm sorry, next yeah, I'm time. I'm sorry, if I get wet, I'm ruined for the rest <laughs> yeah, of the day. Like, don't, don't wet me. No, my back, <laughs> everything you can. So next Sunday, water weekend let's bring your invite your friends over this is a great sunday to invite somebody because their kids are going to have a blast outside next sunday yeah one more thing that's coming up is july 23rd we are having active summer nights what that is is we're going to be hanging out outside in the evening at six o'clock we're going to have some worship music it's going to be like a barbecue vibe come hang out with the active church community that night come bring your lawn chair come listen to some worship music it's going to be a great way for us just to enjoy some community time together that is july 23rd, put it in your calendar. That's a Sunday evening at six o'clock. And if it's your first time with us today, thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad that you are in the room today. Out in the lobby is something called Guest Central. Stop by there before we leave. We'd love to give you a free gift, say thank you for being with us, and just get to know your name and your story. Friends, we are getting geared up for an incredible, incredible Sunday together. But before we do that, would you point your attention to the screen? Church, how are you this morning? Doing all right? Good to see you all. Hey, my name is Mike, if we haven't met yet, and I serve as lead pastor here at Active. And what an honor it is to have you come and be a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. And as you heard already, next week is First Serve Sunday. And I know that many of you probably eliminated yourself from that. You're like, that's for somebody else. That's for a leader. That's for somebody that can manage their life. And my life is in chaos, or I feel very unqualified. The fact that you even thought that means that you are set up perfectly for First Serve Sunday. And we would love for you to be a part of that day. There is something in you that has to get out of you. There is something that God has done deep within you that needs to come out in the way that you live and in the way that you serve. And so I wanna invite you to be a part of First Serve Sunday next Sunday, opportunity to really invest in the lives of those around you. If your faith has struggled, it's probably because you're not giving your life away. And so I wanna invite you to consider First Serve Sunday next Sunday. And if this is your first Sunday with us, please stop by Guest Central. We would love to see you, meet you, and we have a free gift for you. I wanna pray some words over us today. And then we're gonna dive into the story of God together. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, may 
We have eyes to see and ears to hear. May we have a mind that is able to engage. May the story from this last week not get in the way of what you want to do in us today. And I pray that wherever we are and whatever we're carrying, that we could be people that look to you and honor you, that we could be people that are different because we've interacted with you. Thank you for those that are here for the first time. And thank you for those that have been here every single Sunday and what a gift it is to be a part of their story. Pray in the next few minutes, you would transform us and change us and do a good work in us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say, amen and amen and amen. So honored to have you here in the room and honored to have those that are watching online today. A few years ago, there was this huge MMA match that was gonna take place. Huge MMA fight, it's mixed martial arts. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. UFC, the ultimate fighting championship. And it was huge because of the fighters involved. Conor McGregor and a, yeah, and, and, and Conor's fan club is here this morning, that's awesome. Uh, and, and then he was fighting a guy named Habib. And, and both of these guys were, I'm sorry, what? Uh, and, and I can stop and you can do the message if you'd like, that would be, yeah. <clears throat> So they were getting ready to fight and, and the anticipation for this fight was just off, off the charts. There was a lot of, um, uh, how do I put it? Smack talk that happened beforehand. I mean, they talked about everything. They talked about each other. They talked about their families. I even think someone said something about someone's mama. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty heavy and it was super intense. The press conference before was super intense and leading up to this fight was super intense. and. Then the fight happened and Habib lost, or Habib won and, and McGregor lost. And at the end of the fight, instead of doing what they may have normally would have done and like announced the winner, Habib climbs the outside of the cage and he looks down at a certain group of people who I would assume, and afterwards we've found out were connected to McGregor, Conor McGregor. And he starts pointing and yelling at them and like pounding his chest. And so of course, everybody in those situations are usually calm, cool, and collected, right? So they start yelling back. And then you see him jump down off of the cage and walk over to that crowd. And of course, security gets involved and there's a lot of pushing and a lot of shoving and uh, yelling and screaming. And it ends up becoming like this minor brawl, which then of course impacts the entire arena and then it overflows outside of the arena. And it's like this mini riot based off of what had happened between these two fighters and then what, what happened afterwards. A lot of people got hurt. Some got sent to the hospital. Like it was just, it was ridiculous. And of course, all of the sports news outlets were critiquing everything that took place that night. And there was a lot of blame to go around. Some people were saying, well, there was just too much testosterone in the room and that's the problem. Or it was because these guys said some really nasty things about each other and you can't say nasty things about each other and just get away with it. It's because these are just really two, like, like maybe steroided up guys and, and, and they're, they're angry and they can't control themselves. And, it was because there wasn't enough security. I mean, there was all sorts of blame to go around. And perhaps all of those reasons played into what happened, but they interviewed, one news, sports news organization interviewed a psychologist afterwards and they asked the psychologist, 
hey, what do you think happened? Like, why, why do you think this took place? And the psychologist actually said, it wasn't because of anything that was done, it was because of what wasn't done. See, typically in, in, in a fight, whether it's boxing or MMA, whatever it might be, there, there's a tradition of bringing the fighters together and they touch gloves and the referee goes over the rules. That's not just to give them the rules because some, sometime along the line they forgot. That, that's actually a tradition to like, hey, we are starting, so let's go. Let's be respectful, but let's go. But then there's a tradition at the end of a fight where, and it always blew my mind, no matter if it's boxing or MMA, whatever it is, where the winner and the loser, they, they, they come together and they hug each other. And if they get a microphone close to them, you hear things like, hey man, thank you for this. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for this fight. And you're like, he just kicked the crap out of you and you're thanking him? Like, that just seems so foreign, right? But there's this moment where they hug and they embrace and they, they honor each other. And what the psychologist said was, Habib and McGregor didn't do that. They had a moment where they touched gloves at the beginning, but at the end of the fight, they didn't come together and put an end to all things. They didn't put an end to this emotion and this feeling. They didn't put an end to all of the built up anger and aggression. And a part of the reason why that takes place is to help those that are watching be able to put a period at the end of the sentence. And then, and then the psychologist said something really fascinating. The psychologist said, good endings always leads to better beginnings. And I think you all know this. I think, I think we all understand this. We, we may have not said it out loud, but I think often we, we live this way. Think about the job that you left. You wanted to leave well because something deep within you begins to teach you that maybe if you leave well, you can start well over here. Think about the relationship that you were once in and you left and then you started a new one. How you end that relationship can influence how you begin the next one. Think about your relationships with, with people. Think about the circumstances that you're involved with in life. Like life is filled with endings and beginnings and good endings always lead to better beginnings. And this psychologist pointed that out. How I end this sentence will determine how I begin the next. Good endings are really important in every aspect of life including life with Jesus, including your faith journey, including your spiritual journey. And so today, I wanna talk about how it all ends. Now, if you were raised in a home that I was raised in, or maybe you were in a church like I was in church, you might be able to relate to what I'm about to share with you. Some of you, you, you may not even have a connection point. You may have heard of this, or maybe you haven't even heard of this, so this might seem really foreign to you. 
But when it comes to the ending of all things, how this ends, how the world ends, how our story ends, what I was taught growing up, and maybe some of you were taught this as well, is that at the end of all things, Christian people will be sucked up out of the earth and brought into a place called heaven. And while we're in heaven, there'll be a whole lot of chaos and a whole lot of death and a whole lot of destruction here on earth. And that's supposed to be a satisfying and very settling ending for us. And for some of us, it really is. Because when you think about like evil, you're like, yes, evil needs to be destroyed. When you think about things that are bad, you're like, yes, bad things need to be eliminated. It would be great to get rid of all of that. And for some of us, we've lived in that narrative for a really long time. It's what we've been taught. It's what someone in my position taught you. It's what you've learned because you've been a part of the church for a while. Maybe some of you, you had no frame of reference for it, but there's something in us that says, yeah, the ending probably isn't going to be too pretty because there's a lot of evil, there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of brokenness, and that has to to be eliminated. And so in order to eliminate it, we got to blow it up. It's kind of like the end of Star Wars, right? Like it's the end of, of Return of the Jedi when the Death Star is completely blown up. We're all, we're all like, yeah, like that's a good satisfying ending, right? Except that's not biblical. That's not in the scriptures. That's not even what John writes about. So what is it? How does it end? We've been in a series the last few weeks called With You Always. Last 10 weeks, we've been together having some really important conversations together. These were the last words of Jesus to the first century Christians. It was a promise that he would be with you always in whatever you say and whatever you do, he would be your strength, he would be your guide, he would be the courage within you. God's presence, God himself would be with you Always. And in moments when the first century Christians forgot about that, God would remind them of that promise. And one of the ways that he would remind them of that promise is in the letter of Revelation. It's a vision that he gives to John when John was on an island and John begins to write the story that God shows him. And then he shares that letter with all of the first century Christians. It was written in about 96 AD. And it was a letter of hope and it was a letter of courage and it was a letter that brought a whole lot of good stories, godly stories that men and women decided to lean into because they were confident that Jesus was with you always. This is what the letter of Revelation is about. An invitation to fight for the hearts of people. An invitation to you to engage in the story that God is writing, to engage in the, in the kingdom of God. And over the last few weeks, we've had some really hard and heavy and helpful and hopeful conversations. In fact, I've really appreciated you over the last few weeks because many of you have engaged in a lot of curiosity. Many of you have asked a lot of really good questions and we've talked via email, text message, direct message. We've talked face to face. It's been actually pretty fun to have those conversations. But, the, but one of the, the questions that have been brought most often, no, probably the number one question that has been brought over the last 10 weeks is, hey, Mike, how come this feels so fresh? How come this feels so new? Especially for those that have been a part of the church for a while, you're like, why didn't I know about this beforehand? Well, the answer is pretty simple. I've made it up. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't make it up. Just wanted to see if you were awake this morning. The, the reality is this, 
that this actually was the narrative of the church up until about 150 to 200 years ago. That the narrative of the church believed and discussed and held to a lot of what we've discussed over the last few weeks. And if you've missed any of it, you can check out our website. All of the, the teachings are there. But this is what the early church and, and churches afterwards, generations afterwards, this is what they held on to. So then the question is, well, what changed? Well, what changed was the circumstances around the church. What changed is that war became more prominent. What changed is that a lot of nations, instead of one nation, became really powerful. What changed is people in my position decided to take what was happening in the story of the world and to say, perhaps this is biblical, let's see if it is. And they took the story of the world and they placed it on top of the Bible and they made things that were written in the scriptures, in these letters and documents, they made them say things that matched what they were seeing around them. Now, some would call that prophecy. And what prophecy is in the scriptures is God communicating to us that the story's not over, that he's got this, that he, that he is up to something. A prophetic word in the scriptures could be found in like Isaiah, one of the documents in the Old Testament, when it speaks about Jesus. It actually talks very clearly about the Messiah is going to come. It speaks about a virgin birth and it speaks about his death. Like all of that is in the scriptures. And so what has happened in the last 100 to 150 years is people began to to believe that, well, if the Bible was prophetic here, then maybe perhaps it's prophetic here. And so they would look around them and go, well, maybe the Bible's talking about that. And they would place it on top of the Bible and they would teach it as if that's what the Bible is teaching. And perhaps it is, friends. But can you see why that is problematic? Because suddenly it's not, let's figure out what John was writing to them, suddenly it's about, here's what Pastor Mike says that it is, and then our church goes out and says, this is what it is. And what has happened over the last 100 to 200 years is that one particular narrative has grown really strong. One particular perspective has really taken the lead. Because one person would talk about it, and another person would talk about it, and Quite frankly, it would draw a crowd. And then books were written about this particular perspective. One book called Left Behind is a book that actually impacts people's theology about how things end more than the scriptures do. And the writer of the book of the Left Behind series says this is a fictional interpretation of what I believe Revelation is talking about. But a lot of us have made this our doctrine. Friends, this is why this is fresh or feels fresh. Because we have been taught one perspective for a really long time that actually isn't biblical. It's just an opinion. It's why every week we've started off with this phrase, this was written to them for us. We cannot place our world on top of what John is talking about because John didn't know about America or Russia, or Ukraine, or China, which means that John and Revelation isn't talking about America, or Russia, or China, or Ukraine. And if you think that it is, that's your opinion, and you have a right to your opinion and your interpretation, just know that John isn't talking about that because it didn't exist. 
It wasn't something that was a reality in that time. And we will miss what God has for us when we take our world and we place it on top of the Bible. It's why we always have to start with, what was he saying to them? What was happening in their time? And that's why it's been so fresh for us over the last few weeks, because we weren't taking our world and saying, this is what it's talking about. That's why it's not fearful, by the way, and it's actually full of faith. So what, what, I, what I'd like to do is I want to give you two books that I think will be really helpful for you as you think about engaging this letter of Revelation. Two books that were helpful to me. The first book is a book called Revelation for Everyone. It was written by N.T. Wright. And the second book is Discipleship on the Edge, written by Daryl Johnson. Now, can I just say something about book recommendations? First thing that I want to say is that these are really, really helpful books that I have read in order to prepare for what we've talked about the last 10 weeks. But I always hesitate in sharing with you the books that I've read because what happens in a recommendation is that the assumption is that I'm recommending everything that they said in the entire book and everything that they've ever written their entire lives. And I'm not. So please don't hear me say that everything that they say is gold, it's gospel, it's good. And I'm not even recommending everything that they wrote in their book. I found myself disagreeing with some perspectives in their book. They're a lot smarter than me, so probably I'm wrong, right? But I'm just letting you know that when you engage these books, don't assume that everything that they say is gold or gospel. In fact, if you read the N.T. Wright book, in the first few pages, he actually begins by questioning if John wrote Revelation. And you might go, wait a second, I thought John did write Revelation. The evidence points to that. But what N.T. Wright does is what a lot of scholars do. If there's a question, they're going to bring up the question so that you know that they're not trying to manipulate you. And N.T. Wright questions if this is actually the disciple John that writes this or if it was someone that knew John. The evidence over history points to that it's actually John. It's why I believe that it's actually John. And here's why we have to use the evidence. Because nobody was there when John was writing it going, you're writing this? Cool. What are you saying? Cool. What are you going to call it? Revelation? Cool. Let me tell people in 2023 all about it, right? Nobody was there. But the copies that were spread, the names that were connected to it, history teaches, outside of biblical history, it teaches that this was a letter from John. Which is why when you read a book, you're not always going to read a book because you agree with everything that they say. When you read a book, you should also read a book that actually might challenge your position or your posture. But what you'll find in both of these books is a lot of what we've talked about the last few weeks. And what we'll talk about today. And how it ends. See, our, our conviction for a lot of us is that it ends with us being taken It ends with us escaping. Maybe you had a a grandpa or a great-grandfather or maybe even a father or a mom who, who said to you one time, I just can't wait until the good Lord takes me out of here. I just can't wait to go to heaven. There's nothing inappropriate or theologically inaccurate about that. But what you see in Revelation is that it isn't about us escaping. It's about God coming here. Theologians and scholars call this convergent space. We talked about this in week two when heaven and earth meet. Convergent space is what we just experienced a few minutes ago as we sang. Convergent space is what we experienced just a few minutes ago when we prayed. This is convergent space. 
where heaven and earth meet. The difference between now and what John is talking about in Revelation is that we're getting glimpses of it. They got glimpses of convergent space, heaven and earth coming together at CIY. Life change, transformation, new stories. We get glimpses of it every week we come to active. We get glimpses of it throughout the week that we live out our story. But what John writes about is that it's not convergent space where we get glimpses anymore. It's convergent space because God is here. And here's what we find in Revelation is that the end is actually not bad at all. And it's not about destruction. The end is actually about healing and redemption. So I wanna show you what John saw We'll talk it through and then I have a challenge for you at the end of this. So if you have a Bible with you or access to the Bible app on your phone, would you turn to Revelation chapter 21? We're gonna start in verse one and the verses will be on the screen for you as well. Here's the first thing that John saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. The ending isn't about destruction. The ending is about renewal and redemption. And we see this in what John sees. He talks about a physical location here on earth. He talks about a city and he talks about trees and he talks about gates and he talks about rivers. Notice nobody is sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Our perspective might be that that's what heaven is like or that's what it's like to be with God. No wonder a lot of us are like, I'll follow Jesus, but that sounds a bit boring. And John goes, it's not boring because it's not the end. That's not how it ends. But we have this assumption that suddenly we become just really boring people and that there is no excitement in life anymore. This looks beautiful and is exciting. And then look how specific Jesus is sharing with John about the details of what happens. He says in verse four, he being God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You're new and everything around you is new. Those of you that walk with a limp and have for a long time, you're gonna run friends. Those of you that wake up in the morning and go, oh, when you get out of bed because you're over 30, that's going to end, friends. Those of you that are exhausted and that are tired, that will no longer be the case, friends. But we also see that all of creation is renewed and restored. All of creation is doing what God intended it to do from the very beginning. George Eldon Ladd is a scholar who said these words, the Bible always places men and women on a redeemed earth, not in a heavenly realm removed from earthly existence. In other words, God doesn't concede what he loves and what he made. 
God isn't going to concede earth and all of his creation to the enemy because it's been destroyed. Jesus came to die and to rise and to renew and to restore. And if Jesus came to do that work and he did that work well, then Jesus is going to take back what is his, friends. We said last week that we are not people who are on our heels, but we lean forward. Guess who we learn that from? From Almighty God. He's not going to concede his creation and say, ah, you can, you can have it. He's going to draw it to himself and it's going to be beautiful. St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God. Really great book that you should check out. I'm recommending it, not all of what he said, but I'm recommending it. And in, in that book, he actually, as he was watching the sunset over the Mediterranean Sea, he wrote these words. If these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? That renewed creation will look beautiful than just regular creation. Like when he sees this, he's saying that everything that takes our breath away now is weak compared to what is coming. In other words, Instagram be popping off in the kingdom of God, friends. It's golden hour every time you want to take a photo, friends. Because this is what it will be like in the kingdom of God. And then literal redeemed people and literal redeemed physical spaces. Look at what Revelation 21.3 says, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What John is showing us from what Jesus is teaching John to teach the first century audience that we can learn from is God gathers everyone because we need everyone to be able to bear the weight of the beauty of God. One of the things that we have a desire for here at Active in the next five years is to be a church that is multi-generational and multi-cultural. Not because it's cool, not because it's hip, not because that's what everybody else is doing, but because my story matters to God. And my friend Kevin, who was born in Jamaica, his story matters to God and he's a part of Active Church as well. I don't want everyone to look like me and sound like me because I can't bear the weight of the beauty of God in just me. We need you, every color, background, language, ethnicity, story, relationship, purpose, we need you. This is why First Serve Sunday matters. Because we need you to do this together, to bear the weight of Almighty God and the beauty of Almighty God. That's why we want everyone to be a part of this. Because not just one ethnicity or one background or one person can bear the weight of the story of God. And not only that, look at what he says next. Revelation 21, verse 24. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. You and I are not just there, but you and I will have a purpose there. The kings and the reference that John, that John uses here would have made complete sense to the first century audience, but maybe not to us. So let me give you just some background context. The kings particularly in the Old Testament that were over 
Israel would represent God to the people, and they would represent the culture of the people to other nations. The kings carried with them a representation of the God they worshiped and the people of God who worshiped God. Like that's a weight that they would carry. Just like when you as a mom said to your children, make good choices. It wasn't just simply because you want them to make good choices, but you also know that they are carrying the weight of your family's story wherever they go. Just like you're carrying the weight of your family's story. And the kings in the Old Testament would represent God and represent the people of God. And then what John says about the kingdom of God in heaven is that we are the kings. We are carrying the story of Jesus. Get this, on earth, we have a great purpose. But that purpose does not come without pain. And we see that from the very beginning in the creation narrative. Adam and Eve were created by God and they were given great purpose. But then they made a choice to not honor God and to choose their own story and their own selfishness. And God said to them, you will still have great purpose, but it'll be amongst this great pain. And the announcement that he makes is that the the ground, the earth will feed you, but you're gonna have to work it because the weeds will grow. So if you're mad about pulling weeds, blame Adam and blame Eve, right? Suckers, can't wait to talk to them, right? But what we see in the creation narrative is that they had great purpose, but it came with a lot of great pain. And for some of us, we find our purpose in amongst all of the pain. And what we're seeing in Revelation is that purpose doesn't come from painful things. Purpose comes from your savior, from the one you've trusted your life to. In the new heaven and the new earth, purpose comes and get this, it comes without pain. Let me read you a scripture, uh, Revelation 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and his servants will serve him. You and I have the capacity to experience life in this life the way that God has created it and designed it. But hear me when I say that we only get glimpses of it. We only get pictures of it. We jump in and we jump out. Heaven and earth meet in really powerful moments, but then we go back to our regularly scheduled lives. This is what we get to experience. But in the kingdom of God, when God comes down and makes all things new, pain is eliminated. There is no more. All that you have is purpose. Here's how St. Augustine actually talked about it when he was talking about you and me and himself and our physical bodies. He said, on earth, the body protects and fights, but in the new kingdom, what will it do? Worship God. Now, what does he mean by that? Here's what he means. Imagine your lungs working at full capacity, always. 
Imagine your eyes being able to see clearly without any help, always. Imagine not being afraid of the history of cancer in your family and what you'll need to do to make sure that you're fighting it. You won't have to fight it because it does not exist, friends. What we're being shown in Revelation is that purpose comes without resistance. We get to live fully and finally how God created us to live. Maybe, maybe, you're not, maybe you're not getting this because I haven't heard an amen or a hallelujah. So let me, let me, let me just help you here. Uh, there's an article written by a guy named Anthony Hakama who talked about this very idea in the new heaven and new earth. Listen to what he says. And friends, what he says is probably going to melt your brain. It's gonna give you an entire paradigm shift because when you think about the new kingdom and you think about convergent space and you think about heaven coming down, I don't think that you thought about this because when I read it, I didn't think about it either. And it opened my eyes to what purpose without pain might actually look like. He said this, will there be better Beethovens? Shall we see better Rembrandts or Raphaels? Shall we read better poetry, better drama, better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievements? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? Will arch, uh, architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Will there be enticing new adventures in space travel? A lot of us, when we think about the new heaven and the new earth, when we think about going to be with God, we don't don't think about our purpose and how God wired us. But friends, why would it change? Why would Jesus die and rise again if we get into heaven and everybody gets a harp and we all just kind of strum our harp and stand on a cloud, perhaps with clothes or without clothes? I've seen the precious moments babies before. And, and maybe, maybe for you, that's what it's been like. You're like, man, I love following Jesus, but heaven doesn't sound beautiful. This does. Those of you that paint, you're going to be able to paint without any sort of pain or pressure or resistance. Those of you that create, you're going to be able to create without any sort of pain or resistance. Those of you that are athletic, you're going to be able to be athletic without any sort of pain or resistance. Those of you that are creative, brilliant, smart, scientists, archaeologists, will there be space travel? We don't have to rely on Elon for that, yay! He can't even handle Twitter, right? This, friends, is what the picture that's being painted in Revelation is teaching us. You and I don't just go there, here we are, but we're actually living in the rhythm that God created us to live in. And don't miss why this is happening. Don't miss why this is taking place. Because Jesus is there. Revelation 21, 22 says, I did not see a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, first century audience would have gone, no temple, how do we meet with God? No church, how do we gather and sing and worship God? And the answer is that God is here and the whole world is a holy space. God is here and everywhere you go is holy. 
Think about the story when Moses was at the burning bush and, and, and God was speaking to him and he said, Moses, remove your sandals. This is holy ground. There's never an indication that he puts his sandals back on after that. Now, perhaps he does. He's in the middle of the desert and cactus on the foot, kind of a problem, right? Like I get it. But the point that the narrative, uh, the writer narrative wants to teach us is that with God being present, it's all holy. And we see that in Revelation. God is here and the whole world is a holy space and we're invited right in the middle of it. Imagine never asking the question, where is God? Imagine never asking the question, what is God up to? This is how it ends, friends. That's not bad. That's not destroying things. That's God doing what God has been doing since the beginning. Redeeming, renewing, reconciling. And if we are looking forward to the destruction of all things, you might wanna pause and ask this question. Am I following Jesus? Because Jesus does not destroy. Jesus renews and gives life. Jesus doesn't attack. Jesus invites. And this is all happening because he's there. Daryl Johnson in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, writes these words. We will finally live consciously so. Meaning that we'll be aware of it. We'll be alert. Our brain will be working fully and finally for the very first time within the circle of the inner Trinitarian relations to God. If you're not familiar with that phrase, it's a fancy phrase to say that God is Trinitarian or in other words, God reveals himself, allows us to know him in three intentional ways. God as a father, God as the son, God as the Holy Spirit. He is not three gods, but he is a God who allows us to know him intimately in three specific ways. As a heavenly father, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son, and empowered and filled up with the courage of God and transformed with the courage of God through the spirit of God. One God, but he allows himself to be known in really intimate, three specific intimate ways. This is what Daryl Johnson's writing about. We are mere creatures and creation itself, itself will be drawn into the circles of holy love that has forever existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the best part, which is why we're leaving it for the last part, is what John says next. Revelation 22, verse four. They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Now, if you weren't with us the last few weeks, we talked about the forehead and the hand. And here's why we have to read this as a letter to them for us because we have taken the forehead and the hand and we've made it about something that it never was supposed to be about. Specifically, when we talk about what's called the mark of the beast, we have made it about a chip that's gonna go in the hand. We've made it about somebody that's gonna force us to do certain things. When John writes about that, he's not talking about that at all. He's actually referencing an Old Testament command from Moses that when you follow the law of God, you will tie it around your foreheads. You will put it around your wrists because you are making an ideological commitment to God and you're living it out in what you do with your hands. 
has nothing to do with a microchip, has nothing to do with a vaccine, has nothing to do with a credit card, has nothing to do with a social security number. All of those things were assumed by Christians to be the mark of the beast. They're not, it's not what John's talking about. He's talking about the way that you're choosing to live. You can be marked by evil and sin and be selfish, or you can be marked by the spirit of God and be selfless and generous and filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You get to decide and Jesus is the one that transforms us. So this is what he's talking about when he talks about the forehead, that the commitment of God will be on our forehead. Nobody will have to go. Who do you belong to? I got the name of Jesus. And, and friends, I don't know what it would be like in heaven. Perhaps my forehead will actually be a bit smaller, but if it is this large, it'll be great because the name of Jesus will fit across my five head, right? Like it'll be, it'll fit. It'll be great. And so I enjoy my five head. Some of you have a 17 head and that the name of Jesus will fit, right? Some of you need more forehead and so you can borrow from us. It would be great. But then he talks about how we will see him face to face. Friends, I'm, I'm 43. I came to know Jesus at eight years old. I have been following Jesus now for almost 40 years. And I have been unfaithful. I have made terrible decisions. I've made decisions that were more about me than about him. I've wanted to do it my way in my time with my people and my money. (laughs) I have done the thing that I don't want to do and asked for forgiveness for it and then did the thing again and again and again and again and again. And yet God has been so faithful to me. He has continued to give me forgiveness and grace and mercy. He has continued to allow me to be a part of the kingdom of God. He has continued to give me me the privilege of being someone who gets to speak about the kingdom of God. He has allowed me for the last 21 years to be a part of a church that lives out in a very tangible, powerful, and super courageous way what it means to tell the story of Jesus. And I have had to have faith for almost 40 years. Faith being that what we read and what we hear and what we experience in the scriptures is true and it's real and there are evidence, there's proof to all of that in history, not just biblical history, but in history. And friends, there will be a day where I won't need any of it because standing in front of me will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will be Jesus Christ, the one who died and the one who rose. The reward of my faith and the reward of your faith is not heaven. The reward of my faith and the reward of your faith is Jesus. I don't want heaven without Jesus because we get glimpses of heaven on earth and it's beautiful and it's cool, but it doesn't have an impact and doesn't transform lives if the son of God is not involved. And what John says is that we will see him and then we will hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now this next part, I don't want you to miss. So eyes on me, watching online, look at your, look at your screen, eyes up here. I don't want you to miss this. You are not going to catch an eye roll. You are not going to get a lecture. 
you are not going to have to rehash anything. Hey, can you tell me about what happened when you were 12 with that guy or with that girl? Can you tell me about why you cheated on that test? Let's have, we have all of eternity. Let's talk about it. Can you tell me why? You're not gonna get that at all. There isn't gonna be loaded questions that hurt. What you're going to get is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords face-to-face in front of you, the one who forgave you and sets you free and invites you in to the kingdom of God. That's it. That's all. That's how it ends. It's not bad It's good and a good ending always leads to better beginning friends. And that's why we have this letter. So what do we do with this? I can only think of one thing to do with this. Invite everyone. Invite everyone. Because why would you not? Why would you not invite everyone? Why would you not want your spouse or your kids or your friends or your coworkers or those that live next to you or those that you sit next to? Why would you not want them to be a part of this? Here's what John says at the end of Revelation 22, verse 17. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, may they come. Jesus is for you and Jesus is for them. And what we learn at the end of all things is that following Jesus is better with a friend, friends. It's better to do this with you because we alone cannot bear the way to the beauty of God. This is how it ends. And this is why you don't need to be afraid. And this is why you don't need to fear God or the people of God or the things of God. This is how it ends. And it's always ended this way. Even if you heard of a different ending, it's always ended this way. God is a God who loves spoilers. And if you want to know how it ends, he said, let me tell you, it ends with all things redeemed and renewed and restored. Why would you question that? Because that's been the story since the beginning. And that's been your story. And that could be the story of those that you love and are learning to love. So why wouldn't you invite them? And I know what you're thinking. I have invited them. They've said no. What do I do then? Invite them again. You're not responsible for the decisions that they make, but you are responsible for your decisions. And if you hold in your hand an ending so beautiful like this, why would you not want everyone to be a part of it? Today as you leave, we're gonna have some leaders in the lobby that will be handing you an active eight card. These are cards that we've created and have used over the last few years to remind each of us that there are people in our lives that need what it is that God is doing in our lives. And often we forget about them because we can get so inward focused on those in our proximity that we miss those that are not near us or around us that need the hope that we have discovered in Jesus. 
Our conviction is that there are at least eight people in your life that you have great influence over, maybe some you're aware of, maybe some that you're not, but this card is an intentional way to get their names down in front of you and to remind you that they are in your life and they need an invite from you. This isn't just about filling seats. This isn't just about being a larger church. This is about us going, this is how it ends. This is beautiful. And I want everyone to be a part of it. So when you leave today, I wanna invite you to grab an active eight card. And if you don't have eight names that you can put down, that's fine, put down one, you got one. Start with one. The reason we can invite everyone is because we've been invited through the person and the work of Jesus. And it's a work that we honor and celebrate each and every week at Active Church through this practice of communion. And so I wanna pray some words over you. And then I wanna invite you to grab communion elements to the side and in the back. And then you can return to your seat and just have a moment with those that you came with or maybe a moment with you and God where you could be quiet, thoughtful, you can pray but you can take those elements back. You can take them whenever you're ready, when you sit down. And then our team is gonna lead us in just one more song. But first, I wanna pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end, may we see it for what it is, an ending that is beautiful and that is good. And it always leads to something better. Thank you. Thank you for being so thoughtful, so caring. Thank you for being so good and so powerful. Thank you for not eliminating us, dismissing us, but inviting us in. And God, I pray for that one that may need to trust in you for the very first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. God, may they say yes to you because of the person and work of Jesus. God, may we acknowledge that all of this inviting, all of this grace, all of this goodness happens because of Jesus. He's the one that invites us in. He's the door that we enter through. So may we not try to get there and be with you through our own behavior or our own actions or our own spirituality, but may we be people that trust in Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. And that when we take communion this morning, it wouldn't just be another ceremonial moment for us, but it would be a moment that reminds us that the best way to live is when we bend the knee to the God of the universe. And so I pray that we would celebrate the ending as much as we celebrate the presence, that we would celebrate the ending as much as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we take communion in this place, may your name be the highest name that is lifted. And that's the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And together we say amen and amen and amen. I wanna invite you to grab communion, bring it back to your seat, take a moment to take it. And then our team will lead us in one more song.
I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the ocean I need you now to do the same thing for me For me, for me All right, come on, let's stand and sing this out, church Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now How I need you now Oh rock, oh rock of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness On your faithfulness I'm calling on the God of Mary Whose favor rests upon the Lord With you all things are possible Come on church, sing this out I'm calling on the God of David Who made a shepherd boy courageous Yeah, And I may not face Goliath But I've got my own giants Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now How I need you now Oh rock, oh rock of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness On your faithfulness Come on, sing it out again Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now, how I need you now. Oh rock, come on. Oh rock, oh rock of ages. I'm standing on on your faithfulness. It's your faithfulness I'm standing on. we sing this you heard your children then you hear your children now you are the same God sing that you are the same God you answered prayers back then and you will answer you are the same you are the same God come on church you are the same you were provided you were providing then You are providing now You are the same God Sing that You are the same Alright Cause you moved in power then God moved in power now You are the same God Come on church You are the same God 
so much have a great fourth of july go check out guest central so we can connect with you this morning have a great week we'll see y'all next sunday god bless